Welcome to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. On this podcast, we journey through the devastating experience of the death of a child. Grief is seldom discussed openly in our culture, and the death of a child makes people feel even more uncomfortable. We approach the topic openly and honestly, speaking to people who have lost loved ones and experts who help care for them. Whether you are a parent experiencing loss or someone who wants to support another going through this tragedy, this podcast strives to offer hope and help. Welcome to episode 47 of Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. I'm Marcy Larson, Andy's Mom. I will never forget the email that I received from Charnay about six weeks ago. The subject line read, Lightning Struck Twice. I went on to read that email and she shared that eight years ago she lost her youngest daughter and just a few weeks before the email, she had lost her oldest son, both in tragic accidents. Indeed, lightning had struck twice. That phrase really scared me because as a bereaved parent, that has been my greatest fear, that I would lose another one of my children. I have often thought over these past almost two years now, that if this were to happen again, I wouldn't be able to bear it and I wouldn't be able to go on. So having Charnay want to share her story and want to tell other people about what it is like having to go through this a second time, especially so early after the death of her second child, it gave me really a little bit of hope. She was not giving up and lying in a heap on her floor, as I might want to do. She instead had this amazing desire to help other parents right away, to help us see what those next years will be like and remind us what those first few weeks were like. Thank you, Charnay, for being so willing to be so open to all of us. Thank you so much, Charnay, for joining me today on the show. You are joining me from winter in South Africa. That's correct. Sitting with my warm jacket and I see you have a light t-shirt on. I can't believe we're waiting for some of this ideas. <laughs> I know. Although we have kind of a cool rainy day here today. Not super cold, but in the 60s and rainy. But Still, it's been a beautiful summer here while you are battling winter. So thank you again for being on. You reached out to me, oh, what was it, about a month and a half ago now. Correct. And and I remember your email title specifically because you wrote, Lightning Struck Twice. That's and right. that is, I think, our greatest fear as a grieving parent that something could happen again and lightning can strike twice and you could lose another child and that's exactly what happened to you yes, yes. Um, my journey with grief started eight years ago on the 4th of august so in a few days we have the first anniversary of tamsin um tamsin was seven years old and um 
well, for the sake of the story progressing, Tamsin's my biological daughter from my first marriage. And I have a son, so from the first marriage, Keenan. Um, it was their father's weekend in the divorce agreement. Every second week, their father would have custody over them. And he was in the boating industry. And he was doing private jobs from home. And the specific boat that he was working on, a speedboat, a, le a leisure boat, there was something wrong with the trailer. So he removed the boat from the trailer, removed the wheels. And when he had finished servicing, instead of putting the trailer on its side against the wall to move it out the way, he put it standing up straight. Now, if you can picture in your mind, every boat needs to hook onto the back of your vehicle. So sure. that hook was standing up straight at the furthest point. And he left the two children, Keenan and Tamsin. As I said, Tamsin was seven at that stage and Keenan was 12. He left them unattended at home to quickly go to the shop. And Tamsin was grade one. She had just started doing gymnastics. And of course, boredom took over. So she asked her big brother to please put the trailer down so she could balance on it. Okay. And as Keenan managed to get the highest, heaviest point off the wall, he realized he won't be able to put it down because the, the weight differentiation was suddenly out of control. So he told Tamsin to run and he imagined she would run to the side, but she didn't. She ran forward. So he dropped the trailer and that hook that goes into the back of the car caught her on the back of her head and oh, no. um she we don't know the neighbor heard keenan screaming frantically for help in south mm -hmm. africa we have high walls lots of security gate um so the neighbor needed to pull his four by four vehicle to the wall to stand on it to see into my ex-husband's garden to see what was going on um, and that's when he saw Tamsin lying on the floor under the trailer and this little helpless boy full of blood um, mm -hmm. trying to get the trailer off of her. So then he called for help and all the neighbors in the, in the street uh, came and assisted. Um, they called the ambulance, but no ambulance had pitched up at this point um, when my ex-husband eventually arrived home. That's when I got the first call to say there was an accident, but not from my ex, from the neighbor's wife. Um, she didn't tell me the extent of the injury. She just said, I need to get there as quick as possible. Now, sorry, I'm not sure in miles. We work in kilometers. I'm about 40 kilometers away at this point. Mm -hmm. um, and my current husband, Vainant, we were still just dating in a serious relationship, though he was with his three children in a little town in South Africa, seaside town called Plettenberg Bay, which is 1,600 kilometers away on the golf okay. course. So I frantically started calling, you know, just to say there was an accident. I'm not sure, but alas, not getting any answer from Vainant. Um, it was only when I was about 
10 minutes away from my ex-husband's house when I received another call to say that no ambulance has pitched up. Um, my ex-husband and the neighbor had put Tamsin in the car and they were rushing with her to hospital. So I must please go to hospital directly. And that's when I, or I could hear my son, Keenan, screaming hysterically in the background. So I asked to speak with him, and that's when I realized the extent of the injury. Um, when I got to hospital, they were working on her. I wasn't allowed to see her. I could just see on the, the bloodied clothes of my ex-husband that it was substantial um, damage. He was covered in blood and his mouth and I asked him why is his mouth full of blood and he said he was doing CPR she had stopped breathing in the car and it was a head injury and um, but I prayed I, I prayed in the car and I prayed then I'm like no but they're still working on it will be fine you know and mommy's here mm -hmm. now you know mommy can fix anything and then the emergency doors opened and this, it was a pediatric surgeon that came out and he just told us that we'd lost her. So that was, I actually turned and looked behind me. I'm like, oh, are you looking for another mom? Because surely you can't be talking to me. I mean, it's impossible. Surely that's not, you, you, you made a mistake. And um, so that unbelievable words which you never think you'll hear you know you see it on tv and you see people's legs give way and crying hysterically that's exactly as all those that have had news like this that's exactly what happens it's like a reflex so our beautiful little tamsin let me tell you a bit about her she was my mini me blonde <laughs> small little girl at the age of seven, she still wore age four to six clothing. So she was a short little girl, petite, mm -hmm. but with the personality of a superstar. We always believed she would one day go into acting. Oh, apologies. Because she was absolutely phenomenal with, with describing her emotions and mm -hmm. wasn't shy to get up and sing. She was, uh, she loved Justin Bieber at that stage, baby, the baby song of his, and that was her great dream. She wants to go see his concert. He came the year after she passed. That's all she wanted for next year. She reminded us all she wants tickets <laughs> to go watch Justin Bieber. Um, she was a child that loved everyone. Um, you know, strangers she would run up to and give hugs, the homeless. We were often in tears because she was like, Mommy, can't we please bring this lady home with us? You know, they don't have clothes. They don't have food. She had compassion for everything and everyone, and especially animals. At the age of seven, her dream was not to become a princess, as what all little girls want to be. She wanted to be a vet. So we were often finding animals that had been injured in the neighborhood that she'd brought home all bloody and smelly in her in her eider down in her duvet that she would hold and nurture back to health little birds mice rats we even had a frog one day um so yes she just everything about her was love and through my divorce, out of the two children, she was the most level-headed, if I can call it that, almost wise beyond her years. Mm -hmm. She was the support system for 
her brother, who was five years older than her, you know, she would always tell him, it's okay, think of it this way, we have two houses now, and we have two Christmas parties to go to, you know, so always spoke positive about life, and in the blink of an eye for Keenan, when he realized, when they eventually brought him to hospital on that day, the first thing, well, we had to tell him that she was gone, and it was unreal because according to him, she was still breathing when she was with him. So what happened in the car then? Why, why are we, we lying to him? You know, we're trying to hide her from him. So from a 12 year old's perspective, after he tried to do CPR himself on her, which we realized after the fact, it was unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Um, an important fact to the story why I'll mention this now is, of course, when my ex-husband got to the scene, his instinct was to ask Keenan, who was older, what have you done? Oh, no. And my ex-husband regrettably never took those words back. I believe maybe from self-preservation, he's the ex-husband's right. name's Henny, he was afraid we would blame him. You know, how do you leave a boat trailer? How do you leave a, something dangerous and leave the children unsupervised? He's, his whole demeanor was about Keenan should have known better. Um, Keenan mm. was older. How didn't he think, you know, your, I left your sister oh, no. under your care? That it got so bad that my ex-husband, I'm inverted commas, abandoned my son. He left, he left our city totally he cut off all contact with my son stopped paying Mm -hmm. maintenance and he moved away we only traced him four years later and he made it clear that he was not ready to mend his relationship with my son until my son could admit what he had done oh no so that had a catastrophic effect on keenan besides the loss of the loss of his sister He suddenly had a father that blamed him Mm -hmm. and couldn't find it in his heart to help with his healing. The police also needed to interview Keenan. A culpable homicide case was opened because Keenan was 12. Wow. A clinical psychiatrist interviewing Keenan at that young age to see if perhaps he was jealous of his sister and had purposefully done something so my grief couldn't start i was in panic mode i had to protect keenan against all costs i found myself speaking on keenan's behalf you know if someone would ask him a question i would answer for him um, which well seven years down the line i realized was not the right thing to do but as a protection mechanism my whole focus was just on keenan i needed to get him through it he started self-mutilating oops sorry we have dogs here at home we're doing this from home he started self-mutilating at the age of 15 cutting his arms and we realized that he was using drugs as a coping mechanism Uh i subsequently had to have him committed into psychiatric hospital now, I'm not sure if it's like this all over the world, but in South Africa, 
they were unable to treat his post-traumatic stress because he had PTSD, obviously, from what he saw and experienced, sure. and the grief component together. Right. Mm-hmm. And another factor that came in, because the trauma had happened at 12 when he was clinically a child, and we were only seeking professional assistance at the age of 16, he was now an adult. So to try and overlap that for a year close to us was a challenge. Yes, it was a very trying time. Very, very, very trying. But we we got him through it. Mm -hmm. A saving grace for Keenan during this very horrific time, as I said, when when it all hit him and compounded at 15, Vainan's three children two daughters and a son. The boy's name is Jacques and a daughter, Mika, and a, the, his youngest, Nina. They were having some issues with their mom. Mm-hmm. Well, hectic issues. They decided to move to us. So they left their seaside village and they moved in with us. And suddenly Keenan had siblings that accepted him because they were grieving with us over the phone. But now, you know, in holidays, we'd see them. But Keenan felt very much isolated. So, brother and two sisters in the home with him now. And they made him understand that it doesn't matter about his DNA profile. He's their brother. He can rely on them. And, you know, we're one big happy family. There's no dividing line. Who's got an extra mom or an extra dad? We are all belong to one family. Mm Mm-hmm. With the the trauma that the children went through with their mom, emotional trauma, the daughter, Mika, we realized when she was by us for about six months that she was not a normal teen acting out and going to parties, you know, Mm -hmm. and missing curfew and having one or two drinks, you know, and trying to explain it away, that Mika Mika had a, a problem. So we obviously insisted because we had three other children. So we had four together, but three other children in the home Mm -hmm. who it was unacceptable behavior from Mika. So she went into rehab and it was alcohol and drugs. And of course, the home that she came into when she moved in with me was filled with grief. So that played a role in becoming an active addict if we can call it that mm-hmm. and she's done phenomenally well she's almost uh, two years clean now hasn't relapsed what well, they've asked her to chair some of the meetings and doing phenomenally well we were absolutely so proud of her and everyone was absolutely happy mm-hmm. For the first time, I, which was seven years after Tamsin had passed, that I believed the family unit was strong. Mm-hmm. I could start looking at my grief. And particularly right. last year was very difficult for me. It's, Tamsin was seven years old when she passed, and it was seven years since she had passed. So the scales yes. were actually equal now. And my mind couldn't wrap itself around that, you know. So my breakdown happened last year where I needed to forgive. Forgive besides 
the adults that played a role, I believe, in her death, and the ambulance that didn't pitch up, which we still don't know, because of course you hold on to that. If someone professional had pitched up soon enough, I mean, she was breathing for 40 minutes at the home, you know, could mm -hmm. someone have saved her? We will never know now. Right. I needed to forgive Tamsin, which sounds right. peculiar, but you know, you have all these beautiful movies of a little boy falling through the ice and the mom prays him back. And the one of the pastor's son that got meningitis and they pray and the little boy miraculously overcomes, you know. So the at the back of your my mind, without realizing, I was asking Tamsin, why were we not good enough for her to want to stay? You know, if she had yeah. a choice which was a, 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 a horrific realization when I could put words to that feeling. How mm -hmm. do you blame your precious child for leaving? So it yeah. was very necessary because once I had dealt with that, I felt a whole weight off of my shoulders. It's peculiar. I, I don't really know how to explain it, but I felt a definite lightening in my heart suddenly the anniversaries and the birthday which followed after that was not so heavy and i re realized that i've gotten used to the feeling you don't get over it as you know it, when one describes it as getting easier i believe it's just that we actually get used to living with a broken heart it's not mm -hmm. such a shocking thought anymore it just feels normal it feels normal. This Our new normal is always knowing that there's one part missing, but yet we're feeling joy. We can speak of her name without referring to that horrible day, because for a long time, that last day where her name would be written down on a piece of paper, even though it's a police report, I wanted to relive that day over and over because it's the last connection I had. Right. After that, there's nothing. Right. So we were feeling lighter. We could laugh again. We were telling stories that we were allowing ourselves to live. Mm -hmm. And then COVID happened. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Our hard lockdown in South Africa started on the, I think it was the 29th of March. Mm -hmm. And at this stage, well, Keenan's just turned 20, still living at home. Bainan's youngest daughter, Nina, grade 11, 17. Mika, who I said is our superstar in recovery, she just turned 21. And Jacques, well, would be turning uh, 24 now on the 17th of August. Jacques and Mika were living out of the home. And we told them, no, everyone must come back because with hard lockdown, if you become ill, you know, we won't be able to just get in our cars and drive to you. You know, let's all stick together and come home. Right. And it was the biggest blessing hindsight. Even though all the teens were, oh, you know, worrying, they can't see their friends and now they've got to, you know, be with only the siblings and the old fogies. Um, we had a fantastic time no fights, no one was bickering. We worked like a well-oiled machine mm -hmm. together. And for the first time, having young adults now back at home, you know, I could see how responsible they were. They were actually washing their own washing. They were tidying up after themselves. 
mom wasn't, I didn't need to do it at all. And how their characters had grown. So very proud of all of them. Mm-hmm. And then our hard lockdown, with our lockdown in South Africa, no cigarettes are allowed to be sold and alcohol during South Africa's lockdown. I'm not sure how they link that to COVID, but alas. <laughs> we had a slight lifting of curfew. We were suddenly allowed to be out of the home until nine o'clock at night. Okay. That This happened on the 1st of June and you were allowed to buy alcohol again from the 1st of June. And Jacques, our son, who's 23, his friend was moving from affordability point of view, was moving mm-hmm. to a different area because COVID took catastrophic effect on everyone's finances. I'm sure everywhere in the world, it's exactly the same. You were lucky if you still got part salary and our government wasn't giving, we still not getting grants. You need to apply and to actually qualify it's actually impossible, but anyway. Yes. Jacques' friend needed to move, and Jacques had a, a SUV. Well, we call it a bucky, you know, a, a vehicle that you can load stuff. In. It's got a loading dock bay at the back. Sure. Jacques offered to assist his friend with moving, and they had just finished moving the last load and Jacques gave me a call it was quarter past eight on the 2nd of June the day after the slight lifting as I said of the ban to say that he's on his way home and he's hungry and I'm like my boy we've kept your food and I hope he's dressed warm because it's very cold outside mm-hmm. and I heard the vehicle door close and he laughed and he's like yes mommy I'm putting the heater on in the car now. I'll be home in a few minutes. And those few minutes never came. Half an hour later, we received a phone call from a strange number. And it was the friend, one of the friends in the car to say there was an accident. And can we please come quickly? He'll send us a pin drop. And he put the phone down. So once again, not realizing the extent of what had happened, Fernand and I were like, okay, put on shoes. It's now almost half past eight the evening. Put on shoes and grab warm jackets. Let's go. Halfway there, I started phoning on Jacques' phone and he wasn't answering. And then I phoned back on the number, which we received the call from. And when the the gentle the guy's name, Lon, when he answered, I heard a siren in the background. And that's when my heart went and stood. And I realized that someone had gotten hurt. And I asked, you know, who got hurt? And he said, he may not tell us just how far are we. And thank heaven, at that point, we were literally two minutes away. So as we turned the corner, we saw all the blue lights and the road was cornered off with beacons, you know, and they were diverting the traffic. And Vaillant opened his window and said, please, we can't park almost a kilometer up from the road. We need to get there. We're one of the parents of the children in the car. And then the policeman said, please ride through as quick as you can because one of the children have passed away. And Bainan's instinct at that, he looked at me and he's like, it's not Jacques. And I'm like, no, I feel it. I, 
it's a joke. And Vaynant reassured me, it's like, it won't happen again. It won't, it can't be us. Yeah. But I, Vaynant was wrong. Yeah. It was our boy. And, you know, from Tamsin's accident, um, not being able to see her at the hospital and then hearing that she's passed. And obviously there was a forensic autopsy that happened on her, but I had five minutes with her before they before they took her away to, you know, start the forensic autopsy. With Jacques, we could see the vehicle and we could see him, but we weren't allowed to go to him. And that yeah. was the most punishing thing. And they keep telling you there's nothing you can do for him. And you're like, I actually don't care. It's not about just can I hold him while he's still here. Yeah. And um, I feel the exact same way. I never got to hold Andy or get very close to him until the funeral home after his autopsy and days later. And I just wanted to hold him at least one more time when he was still warm. When he was still warm. No, I know. And um, and then, well, thank heavens, one of the police sergeants on scene, well, the, the, the driver in the other vehicle that had T-boned them, um, he was rushed to hospital and one of the other passengers in Jacques' vehicle. And she said to us that everyone on social media is going to slip those parents and the wives and whoever will start posting. Do our ch children know that Jacques did? And we were like, no, we've just found out ourselves. Yeah. And they're like, best you, best you go home or phone your children. And I'm like, how am I going to phone my three children who think we just quickly left to go help Jacques? You know, we thought maybe they reversed with the trailer. You know, when we got the initial call, um, how do we phone home to say that we have our second angel has just gotten his wings now so we had to decide be waiting at the side of the road until the accident team had finished with Jacques which they reckoned would take about five hours to process the scene or going home to tell our kids so we did get home we we got home and we we waited until everybody we you know all one was lying in bed already the other one was on the phone you know, everybody, please stand with us. We need to tell you something. And as they one for one walked down, they were like, oh, where's Jacques? Where's Jacques? And let me tell you, telling one child, Keenan, eight years ago, telling three, it doesn't get easier to say those words again. Most people no. believe, oh, you had practice. You know, you've done it before. It's no. night nightmare. Now, if we believe Tamsin was the nightmare this was version two in with its own complications and its own heartbreak now Jacques let me sorry let me tell you about Jacques as I said Tamsin that was the social butterfly and just loving everyone and the deep-rooted love for animals Jacques in his adult life chose to be a game ranger oh, so he wow. worked on a and in his spare time he volunteered to do anti-poaching so all for protection of animals he had a way you know if you see a sign at in someone's gate which says beware vicious dog do not enter Jacques could enter and the big rottweiler or pit bull would come and lick Jacques 
he had almost like um, Snow White, where you see her come with all the birds, sit on her hands. That's what Jacques was like. The very soft, soft soul. So he, even though him and Tamsin didn't share DNA, their love for that was exactly the same. Yeah. It was just the male version. We had lost her, those special qualities of Tamsin, we had now lost twice in Jacques. And that then, must have been really neat for you to see that in Jacques, those years when you were missing your daughter, to be able to see his love for animals and to see almost a little bit of her in him. Absolutely, yeah. Marcy. You know, in all three, my my new children, if I can call that, Yes. there's something about the way Mika dresses and her attitude. I see Tamsin in it. And the way Nina is a total neat freak and packs every Tamsin words, you know, so... I could relive, it brought such comfort and within all three of them and now a, a big piece is gone and Jacques in his own individual way and as being the older brother, all the children looked up to him. He was definitely their protector, you know, he'd hide the little things that they didn't do, like unpack the dishwasher, he'd do it for them, you know, and helping to to motivate why their curfew should maybe stay a bit longer. And so their protection was gone and is gone now. So yes, lightning struck twice on the same, on the same spot in almost the same sequence. Um, and that's what baffles one now, you know, both children, traumatic head injuries, both children, we were not there to say goodbye. Both with sudden both have police involved so the similarities are uncanny and i yeah. don't know if my battle to come to terms with jacques is because it's similar it's not now a different story you know of he was ill and we had time to say goodbye and prepare ourselves because it's almost like a playbook that's being done again we're battling with that because how can it be the same story eight years apart except in now no no parents are abandoning children and no one feels guilt like keenan did yes yes um and covid plays a huge role a huge huge role i know there are so many parents and loved ones that are losing losing someone in this time to not yes. know where there's going to be funds to bury your child. I didn't ever think I'd experience that. I experienced it now. There was a delay in paying out of policies because the death certificate took so long because of COVID. Um, so we've been faced with incredible financial struggles where we should just be grieving. And I know we're not, not unique in this, but it definitely, definitely played He's playing a huge role on our stress level, if we can call it that. You know, not being able to send the three children for therapy, pro professional therapy to pay for it because your medical insurance doesn't cover it and we're not getting salary. Our family's been phenomenal. You know, they're helping with rent and helping here and there, but there's also a time where you just feel you can't rely on others. And we... We will get through this. We will, we, we have to get through this. But the COVID, my heart breaks for everyone. 
because grief coupled with trauma number one and then financial heaviness it it, it changes your grief it definitely changes your grief well, because you can't just work on the grief you can't just concentrate on your grief because you have all of these other distractions and things going on absolutely were you able to have any sort of service for him or anything like that during covid well um yes we were in south africa we were allowed 50 people at okay. a service but you have to wear your mask and no tea and coffee afterwards Mm-hmm. um you know at the venue so we brought everyone to our house and we just warned the neighbors like you know sorry we grieving our son who you know yes so we're gonna have we're going to have 40 people over for cake and tea although it turned into almost a midnight so we broke some rule you know they've turned law-abiding citizens into criminals so we we were at least uh, we could do that and it was a beautiful service we we uh, live streamed it and at a stage there was almost 4,000 people logged in all his friends as I said he was 23 a game ranger so yeah. popular everyone would have wanted to be there so no we, we we could we could do that for him and we could have the close family and the friends around us um that's good yeah we've, yeah. we've here yeah. around here we could only have 10 so it's been a struggle for some people you know to only be able to have 10 people is hard oh no marcy no it's i i i mean to do 50 and of course your minister counts as one already (laughs) so to choose 49 um it was the most difficult list you've ever had to do ever Mm -hmm. have to do Mm. what i've learned if we can call it that is that from the beginning of our journey eight years ago everything that was unsettled comes back the second time around yes you are never truly your your phases the five phases of grief never go away and for some there might be grief uh, um, anger or acceptance or denial if there's one or two recurring phases that come past, one must deal with it as best as what you can focus on it because you believe you have the rest of your life and you actually don't. We selfishly believe that the world would be kind and that this would, we would never have to bury a child again. Right. So everything we did, was about okay you know it will definitely only be me and Vainant that go now I still have all my grandparents alive we haven't even buried grandparents yet so what are the odds of so we thought wrong we we thought wrong so but that which we had changed in ourselves with after losing Tamsin was always be present. We are so present in our children's lives now that when Jacques passed, I had no regret. You know, with Tamsin, I regretted we didn't do her last birthday party better and bigger. You know, that yeah. I didn't have enough photos or videos of her. 
we since then i if the children come them if it's a big issue or a small little joy that they wanted to share we we give all our attention to our children now mm-hmm. so with jacques i was so thankful for that i we know he knew we loved him he yes he didn't doubt where he stood in the family we had a happy happy home he he knew how proud we were of him because we tell our children every day so yes yeah, so tamson's pa- sudden passing definitely opened our eyes which benefited us now but the the insecurity and the anger is is back is back yeah. and it's the same yet totally different mm-hmm. and um yeah i would think the anger would be really hard right now yeah yes <laughs> uncontrollably yeah. so you know we many friends close friends that can speak openly with us have asked us why does it seem as though we're not crying as much this time round and i'm like because i'm actually so angry if i have to cry it will be destructive crying and i i can't do that and now i know with tams and us not grieving has its own repercussions so we have to find a way to deal with it now quickly because yeah. this is an anger i've never experienced before in my life and i can honestly say that yeah we pray a lot more now we so it's brought us closer um religiously but i'm looking for quick answers this time <laughs> you know because heaven i went through 8 years you know and there was like supposed to be an answer that will come or you'll see you know everything happens for good for a reason yeah mm-hmm. 8 years and now we start from scratch so we are being tested but our support mm. structure is is fantastic friends that went who have been with us from tamson to now are grieving for both children which is fantastic oh, you, i will, i need that i don't need someone to just talk about tamson all the time or just talk about jock because i have two photos now i have so my selfishness that i've picked up now I can't reach out to my previous grief group that mm-hmm. used to get together because they don't know what it's like. I I've like gone to a different level and no one I feel no one can relate. But I know it's selfish because grief is grief. I know that. I I I I know that. But twice it doesn't make me special. It just makes me more damaged because i'm still so in new, new because no one that we know has lost two children we have um also on your podcast and we've heard of some couples that have lost two children you know in the same car accident but it's yeah at the same time mm-hmm. the same time coming to grips coming to term so not oh we were just accepting the one and then it starts again so my mission i've realized what i need to do i mm-hmm. i need to i need to start a group and um and get 
people, professionals involved, where, where there is a, a group for people that have lost more than one, and where there is a traumatic component connected. I know it's traumatic losing any child, certainly, but where there's actually physically police involved as well. Because Keenan's part has not really left me yet. That's what I realized. That story of a child taking the blame, being told it is him, has not left us. It's all come back now. So a traumatic, and in, in South Africa, there's many such stories, but then at a different level. It's about murders. You might have heard of the farm murders that are happening in South Africa. White farmers that are being... So there are some horrific stories out there of where mm -hmm. it's criminal acts. And I'm like, oh, I can't relate to that again. So almost stealing, stealing in inverted commas from my daughter's AA and NA program where they have a sponsor. Why don't we have a grief buddy or a, a grief mm -hmm. guardian, someone who's story similar that you can phone 24-7? You don't have to wait for a weekly meeting and you don't need to get in your car and drive somewhere where you can actually pick up the phone and say, you're my partner in crime. If we can call mm -hmm. it that. This is what I'm feeling because there isn't something like that in South Africa. No, you almost need to find it yourself and figure that out yourself a little bit. I feel like my my friend Stephanie, who's been on the show a couple of times, is sort of that to me. When I am really, really bad and doing really badly, I will call her and she can help me. And then I've got someone else who is a former guest on the show that I feel like does that to me. She, she's, she's about a year behind me. And she will call me up when she just feels like she has no one else to turn to. And I, I think you're right. I think having a specific person like that that you feel like you can call even if it's two o'clock in the morning or whatever, and that they're and that they're going to get it and understand too is so, so important. Because I feel like a lot of times I can't turn to other family and friends because I will scare them with what I may say. Yes. And I don't want to scare them. I want some help, but I don't want them being scared and feeling like they need to call a psychiatric hospital for me, right? <laughs> Absolutely, because our thoughts go deep and dark. <laughs> very dark, very dark. Mm -hmm. I feel like I do understand a little bit of what you've gone through in that when I was in high school, my mother was diagnosed with cancer and she went through all of her cancer treatment. And then 15 months afterwards, after she had pretty much finished the majority of her treatment. My dad was diagnosed with cancer. And again, just, you know, suddenly totally different cancer out of the blue. And it, it, it gives you this realization of, oh, it can happen to one of my parents. It can happen to both of my parents, right? Oh, my that you, that you certainly have. I mean, I went to school with kids whose parents got sick or whose parents died. And it, it's not like the same thing would happen again to them later. You feel like you've done it. You've done the one thing, right? So I think that's why it has been such a huge fear for me too since losing Andy is because I have gone through something and then gone through the same thing again. And so now losing Andy, I have this tremendous fear that 
I will lose Peter yeah. or that I will lose Catherine. I mean, right now it's really bad with Peter because we are two weeks before the two-year anniversary of Andy's death, and Peter is now exactly Andy's age. He's going into ninth grade, exactly the same school. He's doing exactly the same orientation coming up. All of this stuff is just identical. And just in the back of my head, I feel like he's not going to make it to the first day of school. Something's going to happen and I'm going to lose him. Right? Because I've seen that. I've seen the bad thing. I've seen the really bad thing. And I've seen bad things happen again. So it is such a fear to have to live with and deal with. So I certainly hope I don't. You know, you don't wish it on your worst enemy, not even the first death of a child, what is the second one. And we had to watch that we do not coddle our kids too much after Tamsin um, because of that, you know, it's an embedded fear. You're like, please swim with little training wings on. Don't jump on a trampoline. Heaven help us when they all got cars and started going out. You're like, please drive slow. You know, you become like a mother hen. Oh, yes. And you stifle their growth. And then on the other side, especially with Mika, when she started showing signs of addiction, mm-hmm. you didn't. I didn't want to be too hard on her. Right. To move out of the house or, you know, that I will lose her, will lose her love. So please, let's be the best parents ever. So right. we did enable her her for a couple of months admittedly we we made excuses on her behalf and you know oh maybe it's because of the death of her step sibling and oh shame it's so hard to be 17 and you know yeah um but when we realized what we were doing to the detriment of the whole household we were held hostage by a 17 year old addict i mean and stifling growth of the other children by not allowing them to pursue their passions of sport and you know motocross or whatever it is we had to find that balance because as you rightfully said as a parent and as a caregiver especially Vainant as a man he must be the protector yes we had to find that balance and thankfully before Jacques went the last few months we had it perfect so we as I said, we, we were blessed the last months were definitely perfect in our house. So now we have to check that we don't go back to our old behavior of not right. wanting the kids to leave home and telling them that it's all right. Uh, some of the kids are afraid of growing up and having children. Mom, how do we know that we can lose children? Right. Especially to say, no, please, I need grandchildren. I bring, I desperately want grandchildren <laughs> now. I need a little person in the house, you know, when the time's right. So we have to watch how we express our fears so that it doesn't yes. embed on the children because we don't, they're all big. In a year or two, they're out the house. The, mm-hmm. Everyone wants your children to be out the house. And I'm like, no, can't they stay by me for forever? But I don't say that. Right. <laughs> right, right. So no, Mars. That's where we are. But we there's a lot of love, a lot of love in our home. Mm-hmm. We would, when Tamsin passed, Vainant would get very upset when people would almost 
ignore his guilt or his his grief and say oh please tell Shanae we're sorry about the loss of her daughter and he's like he's known Tamsin since she was six months old she's now seven she grew up in front of him um he's her daughter and I experienced it now with Jacques because he's not my biological but he's lived with me for seven years I had Jacques in my home as long as I had Tamsin seven yes. years quite by John Mike tell an adopted parent if an adopted parent loses, so it's not really your child so you must handle it a bit better please don't even people are cruel that they don't really know what they're saying no people do believe because not biological that the grief the pain is less and it's definitely not so no one must discredit anyone's pain because love for a child is universal it is absolutely unfair that people believe a step parent cannot love as deeply as a biological parent mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so that's yeah. what we've come around now with Jacques as well that people do the, the mistakes people made the first time round um they making the same mistake now the second time round so one is wiser, but yet you, you're not. It's a, it's a bittersweet scenario. Do you feel like you're better able to help educate the other people, though, to tell them when they're not doing it right? Because I feel like I am, am hesitant to do that. When people say something wrong, I just kind of don't say anything when sometimes I should. I wonder if it's the same for you now or if you're better able to say no <laughs> i am better able to say now and i i wish for the for the sake because when you actually verbalize that something's hurt you mm -hmm. um to your friends they actually appreciate it. It, it it makes a big difference i was actually sorry i didn't do it the first time I, you know i was scared i might offend someone and they would stop calling or choose not to support me but then they wouldn't have been friends in the first place so yeah. now i'm able to say oh no wait wait don't start with that again you said it last time yeah and um so our friend group is much much tighter now and i'm so thankful as i, I think it was adam or no, David's dad that was saying about, you know, the divorce rate in grieving parents, mm -hmm. you know, the small blessings that one counts because that's, you don't see the big ones, you see the little ones. Vainant has been absolutely phenomenal. Both, both of us are good communicators. I, I would encourage everyone to communicate. You have to, don't wait and say, oh, I think um, he's having a bad day, you know, I'll leave it for the weekend. If something's bothering you, to immediately get it out in the open. And one would actually be surprised that a man that comes across as more in control, you know, he chooses to go play golf, it's all right, and you can't even get dressed to go buy groceries. Mm -hmm. Men do feel it even more deeply than we do sometimes. It's just different. It's mm -hmm. just different. Oh. Being in the background, um, <laughs> <laughs> everyone wants to see what's happening here. Yeah? So no, Marcy. Yep. Um, so the journey is long, but as I, 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 I know now what's lying ahead. Yes. I, I, I admit I left Tamsin's grief too late. 
I was waiting for Keenan to be better before I focused on myself. And actually, it could have run parallel. When, when they say you can't help someone if you're not helping yourself, is absolutely the truth. I, I know right. that. I can contest. I am going to make work of sorting, putting time aside for myself, as well as focusing on my kids, because we can do it. We are blessed to multitask. That is. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I know that. So... There, this too one day will be something that we're used to. The path is long and there are moments of madness. I, on your, one of your first podcasts about not washing Andy's laundry, yeah. you know, and keeping it, 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 it is. And it's the same as now with Jacques as well. Um, those things, you don't do it better the next time and it's not lighter or easier. Well, my heart broke when I heard your podcast about Andy at the age of seven drawing his picture of yeah. the four family members. And um, if one, my sister-in-law from Zurich actually got me involved to listening to your podcast. And she actually mentioned that. And from your podcast, you know, people have been asking us questions. You know, did Tamsin or Jacques let on have we ever had an experience like that mm -hmm. you know because hindsight is always 2020 vision you know um and they definitely they definitely have been instances uh if i can say for example with Jacques, as a grown-up a 23 year old in COVID, we, mom has to clean the whole house and um tamsin almost if i can call it a shrine at our, in our entrance hall with all her photos and candles and little angels. And um, the night before Jacques' accident, I was dusting away and making mm -hmm. sure that the house looked good. And especially that it was the first time in six weeks that I had cleaned that area. And uh, a calmness came over me. And I, Nina, the youngest, was helping me. And I said to you, you know, Put all Tamsin's photos with the rest of the family photos. I didn't have this need anymore. If someone new walks into the house, I wanted everyone to ask, oh, who's this little girl? You know, please don't forget about Tamsin. Everyone's got to ask about Tamsin all the time. I had this feeling I don't, I don't need that. Tamsin knows we love her. I know she's with us. So her photos can be with the rest of ours now. And when Jacques... Wow, the day before day before and when Jacques got home he actually did this whole comical whoa were we robbed it's so clean in front and I was like no and I told him it's time and he came and stood by me and he gave me a kiss on my forehead he's a tall boy I'm short so comforting his mom and he kissed me and he said we will never forget about her she's always with us and the next night after coming back from his accident scene, it's his photos that are now on that shrine. Yeah. So peculiar things seem to link into each other. Um, it's uh, coincidence, I'm not sure, but there was a definite change in myself the night before Jacques, a peacefulness, well, which mm -hmm. was short-lived. 24 hours later. Yeah. So 
but, but people after listening to your part have asked me that and I'm like, no, never real um, in-school conversations about their death or them not being here, just things, uh, the family around them, strange things that we did with Tammy as well, just before she passed and Jacques. Um, so no, we didn't know. We didn't, most people believe what this was there an airy feeling around them or around your house did you know no we didn't know if we had known we would have changed it of course we would yes, have changed yes it. yes you would have and so would i so would i well thank you so much for talking to me today and sharing your story i am grieving with you thank you so much for sharing thank you very much Thanks for listening to Losing a Child, Always Andy's Mom. Please subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast player. We are always looking for new show ideas. If you'd like to be a guest, know someone who'd be a great guest, or have a show idea, please email us at marcy at andysmom.com. Be sure to visit the webpage, andysmom.com, for more content, including Marcy's blog. There you can also sign up to receive updates via email. Together, let's work to inspire hope, one day at a time.